anytime somebody tells you they're on a diet, you already know they're doomed, right? It's either a way of life or it's not. It's either a way of living, it's who they believe they are, or it's a temporary effort to be somebody else, which they're just going to end up back at however they really see themselves. So, Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different, where we aspire to have real dialogues, not interviews with amazing people who are making the world a different place. And man, do we ever have that for you today. Uh, as usual, we are sponsored by the good people at Oracle NetSuite. Learn how to turbocharge the growth of your business at netsuite.com slash different. On this episode, we hang out with two of my favorite people, entrepreneur, leadership event guru to the stars, and podcaster John Berghoff, and uh, his best buddy, best-selling author of the international super sensation Miracle Morning series of books, and a top podcaster, none other than Hal Elrod. Oh, and Hal also wrote the intro to my latest book with Heather Clancy, Niche Down. Um, now, listen, let me share with you. Uh, I spoke at a Hal and John's event in December, uh, and their event is called Best Year Ever. And normally when I speak in an event, you know, I blow in, do my thing, and blow out. And I had a little bit extra time, and my good friend uh, Tim Rode, who's the founder of One Life Fully Lived, was also at the event. And he, he emailed me ahead of time and said, hey, want to hang out and kind of do the event together? And we did. And so I got to participate not just in doing my thing, but in the whole Best Year Ever event with Hal, John, Tim, and um, the entire cast of characters there. And it was great. It's an amazing event. I highly recommend it. But also, as I was going down there and as I was there, I thought, you know, why wouldn't I make this new year my best year ever? And I've been thinking about that a lot, too. Um, and so I thought it would be fun to have Hal and John come on and have a no BS conversation about how all of us can make this year our best year ever. And they give us some super practical, insightful ideas. We have a very fun conversation that I hope you're going to love. Go to Lockhead.com for more on John Berghoff and Hal Elrod. Uh, check out the show notes for this episode, and you'll see the key takeaways as well. Now, hey-ho, let's go. Hey, tell, tell us what you've been up to, buddy. Tell us what you've been up to. Oh, oh, that's a good question. What have been up didn't to? You, didn't you just say again? Out, didn't you just finish a book? That you yeah, I just finished writing a book. Um, two, kind of. So uh, the Miracle Equation is the big new first ever published, traditionally published book. Um, and uh, every other book I've done is self-published. And that's coming out in April. And then we have a new Miracle Morning uh, book, The Miracle Morning for Couples. Uh, how to make your relationship legendary one morning at a time. And Lockhead, Christopher Lockhead was featured in that book, I believe. I don't know if it was a what not to do section or maybe you could clarify that, Chris. Yeah, I'm the before picture. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you could go from this guy to this guy if you read this book. Uh, no, that comes out on Valentine's Day, the miracle morning for couples. So yeah, that's been exciting. And the main thing I've been focused on, John, and you and I have talked about this a lot, because it's one of your, if not your main focus too, which is just being the best dad I can possibly be. And, uh, and then the best husband, if there's any time left over for that. So what, what has that looked like lately? 
with house. Um, so oh, it looks like spending every possible moment with my kids. And, and as I tend to do, um, I'm going overboard to where I think I'm, I'm, I'm works getting put on the back burner as I find this kind of balance. But you know, I, now I, all the things I used to delegate to my wife, which was waking the kids up and getting them ready and taking them to school. I now wake them up. I help get them ready. I take them to school or I alternate with her. I pick them up. We're playing all the time. We do board games in the morning in the middle of my work day. Like, uh, it's just, uh, it's obsessive. And, 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 um, what's interesting is when I had that book deadline, I really needed to write. And, uh, David Osborne called our, our, all our mutual friend, David called, and he asked me if I wanted to do something, uh, with the kids and the answer my entire life, you know, as an adult would have been, no, I'm, I've got stuff to do. I, I need to be productive because I valued productivity above everything else, as I think many entrepreneurs do. And uh, my first answer to David without thought was, yeah, let's go hang out with the kids. And he goes, wait a minute. He goes, don't you have that book due like tomorrow? I go, oh, yeah, you're right. I, I, pr- I probably should do that. And, and But I realized, I went, wow, that's, that's a fundamental, radical, subconscious shift in my, in my priorities and in my values. And so, uh, yeah, while I'm still navigating the balance, it, uh, it's, it's, it's positive. That's awesome. That's awesome, Hal Elrod. Thanks. Christopher Lockett and Jonathan Burgoff. <laughs> so you got two new books coming out. Is that we got the Miracle Equation? Yep, and the Miracle Morning for Couples, and then we got we're working on three or four other books, I think, in the background. So what is the Miracle Equation? Uh, well, I'm glad you asked, Johnny. Um, I wish I had a web page up. Some of us failed math. Yeah, the Miracle Equation, and John. The funny part is, I invented this miracle equation thing long before the miracle morning. Uh, it's just kind of, you know, ironic that they're, or I guess I just call things miracle stuff, but, um, the, uh, that the fact that the, you know, that it now makes sense that the miracle mornings, this, this, this brand, this hit, if you will, that now that this miracle equation will follow it up, but it's actually something that I invented when you and I lived together and, uh, it was to break sales records and it worked and I taught it to other people and it worked for them. Surprisingly, um, almost every single time they, they exceeded anything they had ever done before. And, uh, it's really simple. It's made up of two fundamental decisions. Number one is the decision to, uh, well, unwavering faith is the first decision. An extraordinary effort is the second decision. And if you deconstruct any high achiever, anyone that's contributed anything, you know, extraordinary to this world, uh, that's achieved anything extraordinary in their lives, those are the two fundamental decisions that they made and that they maintained in order to achieve those results. So the first decision is ex- establishing unwavering faith that you can do something you've never done before. And that's counterintuitive. It's not normal. It defies our human nature because uh, we tend to look at our past and look in that rearview mirror and our subconscious and go, well, this is who I am and this is what I've done. So I'm going to try to do that a little bit better. And, and to truly go out on, you know, you've got to establish that unwavering faith that I can do something that even though I check my past and there's no evidence that I can do this, I'm going to, I'm going to establish the faith that I can do it. And then equally as important is making that faith unwavering so that when you encounter obstacles and setbacks, as we all do, um, that you're not, uh, right. That, that, that you maintain the faith. Most of us, we can establish the faith. I can do it. I, I, I believe anything is possible, right? But possible doesn't turn it into probable or inevitable. 
and this unwavering faith that does both of those things. And then the second piece is all high achievers put forth extraordinary effort uh, until, and that word we learned from our mentor, John, right? Dan Cassetta taught us that that operative word is until you just continue pushing forward, putting forth extraordinary effort until you get the result you want. And as we know from experience and history, it, it usually takes longer than we think. And that's why you've got to maintain both of those decisions. And when you live your life where you approach every day, every, every goal, every dream with unwavering faith and extraordinary effort, your success is inevitable. It's only a matter of time. So here's my big question. It's a challenge I have in my life. Um, it's the unwavering part, particularly in the face of what can sometimes feel like ongoing continuous failure. I, I had a situation in my life recently. I can walk you through it if you care, but where essentially, you know, I, I thought me and our team did everything right. And then everything went wrong for weeks and like painfully, like it was like I got up every morning and somebody would whack me with a hockey puck in the nuts and it just kept happening and kept happening and kept happening. And so I guess my question is, how do you maintain the unwavering part? Yeah, the, the simple uh, answer is uh, like the, 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 the tactical answer is through a mantra or an affirmation. So when I, when I started doing this, I was trying to break this company sales record. Um, and, and then the, the time period that I had to break it, I thought I had 14 days to break the record and I was already really stressed to do it in 14 days. And the day, a few days before the, the contest started, our manager said, Oh, by the way, you guys, this isn't a 14 day, uh, normal push period as it was called. This is, it's only 10 days. And, and I went, whoa, there's no, like, no, 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 no. You can't do that to me. I've been spending the last few weeks getting mentally prepared to do something I've never done in 14 days. And now you're taking a third of that away from me. That's nearly impossible. And so I decided, I just reverse engineered. I went, okay, if that impossible, seemingly impossible feat were to become possible, how would it occur? And the first I, I realization is I, I've got to maintain unwavering faith. And the way that I did that is I created a mantra that simply said, I am committed to blank, right? Whatever that result was is for you. No matter what, there's no other option. And, and whenever I would have a no sale or I would, you know, I would have a bad day, I would, I would, I would be encountering that failure. Well, the voice of doubt is typically what overrides, like that's what we, what, what just consumes us. Oh my gosh, there's no way I can achieve this goal now. It's not working out the way that I thought. It's not happening as fast as I hoped that it would. Um, and I just overrode that with, no, 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 I pushed out those negative doubt inducing thoughts with, um, I'm committed to achieving my goal. No matter what, there's no other option. I am committed to achieving my goal. No matter what, there is no other option. And I just said it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And that continued redirecting my focus on the activities that would move me toward my ideal outcome versus the fear that it wasn't going to happen. And I think part of the unwavering faith is flexibility in realizing that A, it may take longer than it usually takes longer than we think, right? So we usually fail along the way. Um, and then B, sometimes we have to pivot, right? Like my first book I thought was going to be great. I thought everybody was going to love it. It was called Taking Life Head On. And it just didn't do well. It just didn't resonate with the market the way, right? And so I just had to acknowledge, oh, my goal of changing the world with a book is not going to be this book. I've got to write another one. And it took me six years and finally wrote that second one. So, so that's a big one I want to ask you about, which is, you know, how do I know that I need to, quote unquote, pivot 
versus persevere? Like that, that, that to me is a, is a seminal question. Like, is the universe telling me I should not be focused on this and I should pivot? Or is the universe telling me just hang in there, champ? You got one more round. Yeah. It, that's probably the hardest question to answer. Um, and I'd love to hear Johnny's thoughts on this. Uh, I'll, I'll give a few. And that is that I think that getting feedback from other people that are, that are, you know, older and wiser, if you will, um, the, or, or simply have done what you're trying to do, or, or even just anybody getting a, that outside perspective, because we're so consumed with our own perspective, um, I think is really valuable. And a uh, good, good example is I'm dealing with some challenges right now with a lot of different stuff, but I had a conversation with a buddy yesterday and uh, you know, it's amazing how we, we stay private. We keep it to ourselves, you know, and we keep trying to push through it and figure it out on our own. And in a five minute conversation with our, our in fact, I'll tell you, it was our good friend, John Broman. And I was like, Oh God, you're right. I, I didn't think of that, you know? And so I think that, yeah, there is, there's no black or white answer there, Chris, right? Um, it's definitely a gray area, but I think that the two things is getting feedback from other people and then really looking for what I call microcosm evidence, which is simply, uh, who was it? In fact, John Broman has said this yesterday. It was, I forgot who it was, but he said that if you can, uh, you know, if you can find five people, for example, that, that buy your product and like your product or your service or whatever, right? Then, then all you have to do now it's proven that it works and you just have to find five more people like them. And then once you do that, find five more people that were like them. But here's the deal. If you've put out your product, your service, and you, the marketplace is telling you, right? Or, or you've tried this goal and it's just like, no, 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 this isn't like my first book. I'm like, no matter how hard I pushed it, it just, it didn't have that word of mouth kind of thing. And it's that it factors hard to even figure out what it is sometimes. Um, but that's it. I looked for evidence of, you know what? There's the evidence is not there that this is, uh, this is a viable long-term, you know, strategy. Uh, so I, you know, so now I've got to pivot. What do you think, John Berghoff? Yeah, Johnny. Yeah. <clears throat> I Oh, Johnny, I don't hear you. There we go. <laughs> I like what you said, buddy. Um, <laughs> I, I can relate in my business right now. I'm, I've got decisions to make. And I, I think a lot of entrepreneurs can relate when you have decisions to make and you have no precedent, you have no playbook, and you have no mentors that fully understand every dynamic. So you, you can't even get feedback from somebody who's literally been where you want to be, right? Yeah. And uh, I, when I go back three years, the last time I was at a crossroads and uh, unfortunately made a good move, I think it was kind of like what you said, Hal, you had a, a cool word for it, microcosm signals or something. Evidence. Evidence, yeah. I, I think of it as listening. I think of it as listening, that I've got to constantly be listening, uh, which can, I listen with every part of my being. It's what am I seeing? What evidence can I find that says, hey, I should go one way or another? And I could be surprised how... Uh, that evidence could be right in front of me and I might not see it if I'm not just staying open to whatever those signals are that I should go one way or another. Amen. Uh, you know, why, why is it, um, I, I don't know what the statistics are, maybe you guys know, know the percentage of people who keep their New Year's resolutions, but it's obviously incredibly low. And I always love going to the gym in January and looking around. It's like, okay, um, I know that you, 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 you <laughs> are not going to be here in the middle of February. And I, 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 the grumpy part of me says, why don't you just give up 
the fuck now because we we all know you're kidding and so why don't you just go home and have a donut (laughs) (laughs) so that you can use their treadmill yeah exactly and so uh, i guess my point is how do we not be that person who gives up in february (laughs) john you want to handle that first there go ahead buddy Um, i I don't set resolutions, so i need to reflect for a moment on if i'm qualified to help answer that there you go um yeah yeah so for me i'm a huge 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 proponent of accountability and uh the, and in, in whatever form, uh, I think that most of us resist accountability because as children, it was forced upon us, right? So you think about when our brain was developing, uh, from age, you know, zero to, to 18, we were forced by our, the, the authority figures in our lives, right? Our parents, our teachers, we were forced to eat our vegetables and attend school and do our homework and take a bath and go to bed at a decent hour. And none of those things, typically those were things we resisted. We didn't want to do them. I don't want to go to bed. I don't want to take a bath. Oh, I don't want to eat my vegetables, right? And if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about, or if you were a kid. Um, and, uh, and so you think about that. We have this deep ingrained resist resentment and resistance toward being held accountable to do things and for most of us we turn 18 we flee the nest right and we're like screw it i'm staying up until all hours of the night right i'm sleeping in as long as i can i'm gonna eat jack in the box and mcdonald's and burger king all right like that's it it's this downward spiral for most people into settling for mediocrity and it happens gradually and we don't kind of you know it's like before we know it um, but if you look at the world's most successful people in any industry, look at the world's most successful athlete and show me one that doesn't have a coach that holds them accountable to practice and drill and do what, you know, run plays in a game and left to their own devices, right? They'd probably be a lot less focused and disciplined. Um, you look at any CEO, they've got executive coaches. They've got, a, they've got accountability from their shareholders, accountability from the, you know, their executive staff, from the board. I mean, on and on and on. And again, left to their own devices, you probably find a lot more CEOs spinning their wheels. And it is accountability that gets us to go to the next level. And even if you consider yourself a self-accountable person, right? Like I'm self-accountable and so is Berghoff and so are you, I'm sure, Chris, in many, many, many areas. But guess what? Whatever areas I'm not accountable in that would improve my life or business in ways that I deem valuable, well then, that's what, that's what accountability would give to me. It would get me to that next level. And for us, we all, that's universal. We all share the next level. And I think that's how you keep your, you know, if you have somebody holding you accountable, you go to the gym in January and February and March and April, all the way to December. Well, now you've got some leverage. So I, I have another side to this coin to offer. Damn it. Yeah. So <laughs> no, I, how I love talking about this with you because you and I are very different. Now, this might explain why you've sold a million books and I've sold zero and why you have an email list of 600,000 and I have my parents. <laughs> but uh, I, so I've, I've always run away from accountability. Like I was beat up by accountability as a kid. Yet there's been a few places where I've, I've been able to do some good things. And for me, it's when you talk about the people that go to the gym uh, and then this isn't in disagreement with the value of accountability. It's just another look at this. I think for a lot of those folks, the reason they stopped going to the gym is because what didn't change was their identity, the, the view that they have of themselves, right? It's the same reason why when so, anytime somebody tells you they're 
on a diet, you already know they're doomed, right? It's either a way of life or it's not. It's either a way of living, it's who they believe they are, or it's a temporary effort to be somebody else, which they're just going to end up back at however they really see themselves. So for, for me, uh, that, that's how I try and get something to happen is I think, how do I create an identity for myself that I want to just keep living into? So I guess I would call that an accountability to my image of myself. Sure. And so if we have an image, a self image, it's like any goal that we have, that's a big goal. Obviously, there's a delta between where we are and, and that goal. Um, and from an identity point of view, if we say, hey, you know, I, I want to be an international best-selling author like Hal Elrod. And, you know, I, I'm living in my parents' basement. Uh, yeah, <laughs> picking my belly button hair. You know, it, it, there's a big delta between me and Hal Elrod. And so how, how do you uh, redesign your identity when you're sitting in your parents' basement and, and you want to get to where Hal Elrod is. I, I can give you that answer. It's unwavering faith <laughs> and extraordinary effort. Actually, j just a compliment to Hal, because it, what's fun for me to hear this conversation is I've known Hal, we've known each other for 20 years now. You know, we're coming up on our 20th year, buddy. Next year. Oh, buddy, when did I move? We need to, we should be together on that yeah, day, man. We Are you guys going to like go away to Maui together and hold hands <laughs> on the beach and shit? I think we should go to your parents' house and sleep together in their guest room. That's what I think we should do. <laughs> and wake up to Yanni, just like old times. <clears throat> so I, I got to watch Hal go from, you know, we were selling knives together to the first book and the second book. And, and, and one of the things that, that I've admired about you, Hal, is, is from the very, very beginning, you've always been willing to have faith, if anything, at least in yourself, and, uh, and to give extraordinary effort. Like I've, we lived together and I watched it. How, how was willing, like, let's talk about, you've got all these books and you got the podcast, but how many, how many podcasts have you been interviewed on? At one point we were tracking it and we were shocked, right? It's three, I think it's over 300. It's over 300. And, and, a, and that was compressed within like a couple of years. Yeah. And, and I think what a lot of people miss when they see Hal's books in 19 countries in every language on earth is that the guy worked harder than anyone I've met to get that message out there. So the question was about identity. And one of the things I've watched you do, Hal, is, uh, is just be willing to work so hard that you were, it was like a self-fulfilling thing. Whereas you continued to put forward that effort you reinforced your own identity as a guy who's just going to make shit happen. Um, yeah. And I've seen a lot of people, myself included, telling you, you know, stupid book title, stupid idea. <laughs> uh, what's up with your hair? And then, <laughs> and then here you are, right? Thanks, buddy. What is up with your hair? <laughs> uh, today is just, uh, this is my uh, woke up, uh, just woke up look. Oh, I figure I'm, I was on the Christopher Lockhead podcast. I didn't need to do much. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Particularly in the hair department, because clearly I did not do much. But I, uh, I did receive a, a yet another article. I collect ar articles about how awesome dudes are with no hair and how great swearing is. And, and people email me articles about that. And I just saw another one with f featuring The Rock about like why dudes with no hair are so awesome and make more money and chicks want to be with them. <laughs> 
That is awesome. That is awesome. But I do. I like your hair. You have that. Uh, you have that punk rock. You could be. You know. You could absolutely be in Black Flag or, or the Sex Pistols or the Ramones with that hairdo. Well, maybe not the Ramones. Those guys had long hair. But you have definitely that that Sid Viciousy punk hair. Yeah, my wife's tried to get me to change it. In fact, John saw I, I changed it for like a month here uh, just recently, about a month ago. And I'm like, oh, I, I can't do it anymore, sweetie. I can't do it. I feel so dorky. <laughs> so there's there's a couple other things I wanted to touch on for sure. One of them was in my own head as I was getting ready to go to best year ever. Um, you know, normally when I go to speak at an event, I'm just going to speak in an event and I of course think about my talk and prepare my talk and want to make it resonate with the audience and all the good stuff you do if you're going to go give a talk. Um, but the other idea I had was, hey, um, the event's called Best Year Ever Blueprint. And I thought, well, what if 2019 was my best year ever? And it, it, it made me think about what the best year ever for me would look like. And so there's something, this may sound silly, but there's something even audacious in engaging in a conversation with yourself and then with others about, well, yeah, hey, dude, what would the best year ever look like, you know, and begin to think about that for yourself. And so how do you think about, you know, particularly in the context of what we've been talking about and having an unwavering commitment to doing this, and you know, the faith and then doing the work? How do I apply those things so that 2019 is my best year ever? Johnny, you want me to go first? Sure, go ahead. Okay. All right. Um, the uh, So when I think about my best year ever, it was 2000. I mean, well, it's every year, right? Every year I strive to make it my best year ever. But like the breakthrough year where I went from average to I felt like I finally f started fulfilling my potential. Um, it was 2005. And uh, the, the couple, couple things, so I'll share a couple keys to, to the best year ever, right? Um, number one, obviously, you got to set goals and you got to set written goals. And they've got to be important. So there's a few things I'll say here that are basic and that, you know, half your listeners are like, yeah, 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 of course, got it done. Um, you got to set written goals. And I want to share an app, by the way. I was looking, I was like, you know what? I'm on my phone. I always set my goal on like a Word document and I never look at it. You know, um, and I, you know, I want to eat something that I was with me all the time. So I tried all these different goal apps and I found this one. Uh, it's called Goals Wizard. So I, I sent it to a couple friends. I love it. I'm really visual. You can put a picture with each goal. You know, there's a and it allows you to set the goal, set the milestones, set the activities, set reminders, align it with your schedule. Like it is. I could not believe how robust it is. So I just want to mention that before I forget. So setting your goals in writing, looking at them every day is another important part. I think a lot of people set it and forget it, right? I've set my goals and then the end of the year comes and I'm like, oh, I, I, I need to look, let's, let's set my goals for the new year. And then that's the first time I'm looking at the goals that I set 12 months ago. You know, I'm like, crap, I forgot to look at these. So setting them and looking at them every day, some fundamental things, but really, really important. And then here are the two big big differences for me that year. Number one was I decided I set all my goals and then I called one of them my mission. And using the language mission simply changed the level of importance, right? When you've got 10 goals, well, if they're all goals, then they all have equal importance, at least in the way that they're phrased. I decided, okay, I've got 10 goals, but which one of these will enable me to develop the qualities and the characteristics that I need to achieve all of my other goals? Which one of these is the, is the most challenging, will require the most consistency. And I just, so I set this huge goal to double my sales and double my income from any previous year in my life. That was my mission. And what that did is 
I decided that first of all, it was okay. If I could only achieve one goal, and this is a hard question you've got to ask yourself if you're listening. If I could, okay, I've got all my goals set. Here's six goals or eight goals or 10 goals. If I could only achieve one of these goals, which one would leave me feeling the most com- accomplished, f- fulfilled, satisfied, right? Or make the biggest impact, measurable impact in my life. That's, that becomes your mission. And then every day when you wake up, you're, you know, for me, I'm not allowed to work on my other goals for, for the most part. Some days there's, you know, there's always an exception to a rule, but until I've worked on the activities that will keep my mission on track, that will keep me achieving that mission, right? And, uh, and what ended up happening was at the end of that year, I achieved the main goal, the mission. I also achieved every other goal that I set. I wrote my first book. So I doubled my sales and income. I wrote my first book. I, I met my wife, which was one of my goals, married, you know, eventually married her. Um, I, I rock climbed three days a week. I worked out four days a week. I led uh, another team. I de- like I did all these things. Every one of them happened. And I feel like it was because A, I clarified them in order of priority, beginning with the mission. And then I aligned my schedule each day with those priorities. So it, it, it was totally aligned. And then the last piece and the crucial piece that I've already spoken on is I had accountability. And I'll share with you, my, this is my favorite form of accountability. It takes, like most things, the, 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 the reward uh, mirrors the effort, right? Parallels the effort. Uh, so it, it actually takes more effort to set up this accountability than probably any other. Easiest is hire a coach or find an accountability partner. I formed a team of about 10 other people and we got on a call every Sunday and these were my peers, my colleagues. And every Sunday I led a call where we all shared what we were committed to for the week. And of course, at the beginning of the year, I had everybody's annual goals written on a spreadsheet. And then every week it was, okay, how many calls are you committed to making this week? And what's the daily total? So they'd say, I'm going to make a hundred calls a day, 20 a day, five, you know, 20 a day, five days a week. And I would write 100 slash 20 slash five or 20 X five. And then every call I would get on a week later and I would simply ask, Hey, all right, John, Hey, you committed to this. Did you do it? Right. And we would hold each other accountable. And the greatest form of accountability, in my opinion, is when you are holding other people accountable yourself, because then you look like a real ass. If you show up to the call and you're like, Hey everybody, I know I'm the leader of this call and I put this group together so we could hold each other accountable. Yeah. But I didn't do my stuff again. Right. Like you can't, you know, you just like, it all good. I don't think there was one week where I didn't follow through because of that. But guess what, Chris, every time, and this is the power of accountability, everybody, every time I felt like not doing my phone calls for the day, I was like, I'm not, you know, what? I'll just do it. Skip them. And I'm like, damn it. I can't, I've got a call with everybody, my accountability team on, on Sunday. And I, I got to answer. I got I got to live with integrity. Right. So, um, so that for me was it, it was identifying all of my goals in writing, clarifying of all these goals, what's the most important. And then down the list, I had an order of priority, aligning my schedule each day with the priority of my goals and having a, a group of accountability partners to hold me accountable to follow through. So that to me is the system, if you will, to, uh, to your best year ever. What can I add to that? <laughs> That, that was awesome. And I actually, I haven't heard that one before. Um, so I like having a, t- the idea of having a team of people that Sunday call. That's yeah. very, very powerful as opposed to an accountability partner. Cause if it's just, let's say me and John, let's say, um, you know, I don't hit my goals for the week or the month or whatever. And I'm hey, doing get him next month, buddy. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's going to give me some slack. We're going to open a bottle of tequila and we're, you know, 
and it'll be out the window, right? And then I'll give him some slack and, and we'll just drink tequila. <laughs> um, but to your point, Hal, A, having a team of people, that's very cool. And B, in, in the case that you just described, you're the leader of the team. So if you're like, hey, um, I'm going to hold all you guys accountable. And uh, I sat on the couch and farted this week. Yeah. Kind of doesn't work, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, what I like about Hal's answer is I was, I was asking, how would I answer this question? How do I have my best year ever? And Hal, I think your answer is probably more practical and more helpful for more people than what I would have said. Because what I love about what you suggested is it's like you're setting up an environment. You're setting up these conditions that if you just push play, it's going to have a positive impact. If I have the people around me, the people showing up, if I put myself in this position... It's going to be kind of a lead domino. It's going to make everything else work. Because when I thought, how do I have my best year ever? Because I, I don't, I don't do any of that. I don't have any accountability. As I'm listening to you, how I'm thinking, I should try that out this year. I might, I might do a little better if I. Have you to might become that. successful, Johnny. I might, I might arrive. I <laughs> say, so for me, um, and this is the beautiful thing about Hal and I being partners is literally we have what immediately feels like polar opposite answers, but. What I love about us working together is we get to bring all that together. And my, my answer to how to have my best year ever is it comes from holding open certain questions endlessly, right? So the first one that comes to mind is, well, why am I here, right? Like what meaning do I want to give to this next year? And that's a really interesting question because uh, it's, it's one of the most commonly asked questions. Why am I here? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And, and what I found is I think a lot of people create this um, almost unnecessary pressure to think that they're supposed to, A, have an answer and find it quickly and, and that it's like something you find under a rock, right? But my experience has been to hold that question open, right? And that if I ask several other questions continuously, they will actually help me to discover that why, right? So... Uh, another question I would hold open to have my best year ever is, hey, when have I been at my best and when am I at my best? Like, when am I on fire? Like, Christopher, you're, you're on fire, I'm guessing, when you're sitting right here, right? So whatever your best year ever looks like, it's probably a lot of this or more of this, right? And then I'll ask myself, well, what am I doing when I'm at my best? What am I bringing to that moment? Are there qualities I bring to those moments? That maybe I could bring to other moments. Maybe not. Maybe it's very specific activities that I need to realize. Okay. That's when I'm, that's when my strengths come alive. So how do I play to more of those? How do I re-engineer my days and my time so that I'm doing more of what I'm best at? Right. And then I think another question I like to hold open is, uh, what could my best look like? What could my best future look like? If I could wave a magic wand three year, uh, a year from now and have any three wishes come true, what, what's the first answers that come to mind? What are the kinds of possible images of my future that when I think of them or see them or draw pictures of them or talk about them, that those are the things that get me fired up? And one of the things I've found is uh, sometimes I, I have to just talk shit out loud to figure out what those possibilities are, right? It's not always some formal vision board, goal planning, best year ever workshop. Sometimes that can accelerate it, but sometimes it's just chatting with a friend. It's somebody saying, well, what would you like to be celebrating a year from now? And then realizing I have the freedom to craft and create an architect every time, whatever I want to say to that, right? So... Uh, questions like, when have I been at my best? And 
what could my ideal future look like? Um, a big one for me is what do I value or what do I tell myself I value, but I really need to shape up in terms of behaving in alignment with those values. Cause I think, and how I've, I, I've learned this from you for almost 20 years now that our best year ever is only going to follow our best self ever. Mm. And for me, my best self is when I'm constantly asking, what do I value? I.e., how do I want to live my life? Um, how do I want to treat others? How do I want to treat myself? And then how do I keep closing the gap between how I answer that question and how I actually behave? Because I think that's the ultimate success. That's the ultimate integrity is to say, I want to be a certain way and then being that way. And if I can keep closing that gap, then the, all the other successes will become accomplished eventually, right? Cause like what's inherent in that idea that I'm going to act in alignment with my values is excellence, right? That's just embedded in that. If I'm actually going to be who I say I'm going to be, then integrity and excellence is going to follow me everywhere. And that's like the ultimate success for me. So if I keep answering, asking those questions, and then I come back to why am I here? It's some combination of all of that. It's to continue to bring out my best strengths, to be my best self towards whatever future is seeking to emerge. And, and I, uh, unlike Hal, and it's great because we're, we're offering two different ways to approach it. I haven't written my goals down for years. Um, I haven't been accountable to anybody for years. And, and maybe I ought to try these things out. Um, but I've asked these questions. And they've led to things that have emerged that have led to um, my best year ever in different areas. I love it. Two distinct approaches, but uh, ideas that are connected. But you, you, you really like those questions. John's the ultimate question answer. Ask her. I do. Well, because I, I, I think our, our future changes before the answer arrives, right? Like I'm wearing contact. What does Say that, that mean? again? What? The future changes before the answers even arrive, right? Because I'll give you an example. So I'm wearing contact lenses right now, right? So when I put these lenses on my eyeballs, just like Hal's wearing glasses, before he even opens his eyes, that lens is going to change what he sees in the world and how he sees it and how clearly he sees it. When we ask a question, it's the same thing as putting a new lens in front of our eyes. If I ask, what kind of future do I want to create? Before I conjure up any answers, I've already created a frame, a lens through which I'm going to look for answers that are going to help to fulfill that question. So our questions change our future before the answers even arrive. That was awesome. All right, boys, anything else we want to touch on before we wrap? Ace, would you like to offer anything, buddy? Uh, he, he's been sitting here. He can't hear anything. Can Ace B-Box? That's what I'd rather hear from Ace. Oh, you can hear through here? Is there anything you'd like to offer, Ace, about having your best year ever? Mm, I want to go snowboarding with Tyler out in Colorado. That would be your best year ever? Yes. Let's make that happen, buddy. <laughs> JB, are you guys going to Fan Abundance? As Tyler, no, Ace has a hockey tournament and a baseball tournament and basketball that weekend. Jeez. <laughs> that was awesome, Ace. All right, boys, anything else? I, I love you, Hal. Good to see you, buddy. Glad to hey, see you. Hey, love you guys. Thanks for inviting me uh, to join you in person. I really appreciate it. Hal Elrod, John Berghoff, I love you. Thank you. Much love. Bye. Whew. I sure hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. And um, more importantly, I guess, I really hope that this year is your best year ever from the bottom of my heart. 
Um, if you want to get in contact with uh, with us, send email to blackhole at legendsandlosers.com. You can follow me on Twitter, at Lockhead. Uh, same thing on Instagram, at Lockhead. And um, why not join our mail list? Check out Lockhead.com, L-O-C-H-H-E-A-D.com, and sign up for our newsletter, and uh, we'll keep you in touch with what's going on in the show. Because uh, you may not realize... When you subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Overcast or any of the podcast players, we don't know you exist. The only way we know you're there is if you give us your email address, and that way we can have uh, direct communication. All right. We would like to thank the amazing Flourishing Leadership Institute. This is John's company. They do leader uh, leadership events to the stars. Uh, check out the website, lead2flourish.com. That's lead2flourish.com. And Hal Alrod International. Yeah, international is right. Uh, I don't even know how many um, languages his books have been uh, converted into, translated into. <laughs> Check them out. Books, podcasts, and a whole lot more at Hal, H-A-L, Elrod, E-L-R-O-D, dot com. Niche down, how to become legendary by being different, the number one bestseller on Amazon. Check it out. Um, OneLifeFullyLived.org, one of my absolute favorite nonprofits. Uh, We help you dream, plan, and live your best life. We have an amazing event coming up later this year. Check it out. The the number one, LifeFullyLived.org. Verve Coffee, the leader in West Coast craft coffee, and the official coffee of this podcast. Check them out on the internet at vervecoffee.com. Legendary entrepreneurs are getting addicted to growwire.com, stories of innovation, uh, stories about how uh, Somali entrepreneurs are kicking butt and changing the world. Check out growwire.com. Now, do you need some socks? Why not check out John's Crazy Socks? They were uh, uh, our guests on episode 155 of Legends and Losers. And I think John and his dad, Mark, are two of the most uh, inspiring entrepreneurs ever. And they make awesome socks. So check out John's Crazy socks.com now are you um, a little bit under the bus would you prefer to be driving the bus uh, why not check out bottleneck virtual assistance at bottleneck.online and you can leverage the power of a virtual assistant to help get some shit done today bottleneck.com now are you in the b2b tech space check out atrenet atre.net uh, that's A-T-R-E dot N-E-T. These folks have been building B2B websites for tech companies for decades, and they do uh, a legendary job. And my good friends at the Front Row Foundation. This is a nonprofit that helps give folks who are dealing with life-threatening diseases and challenges a day of uh, legendary experience, legendary moments. Check out the thefrontrowfoundation.org. All right, I need to remind you that this podcast is the sole property of the Legends and Losers, or for that matter, the Lockhead Oddcast Network. <laughs> and we'd love it if you shared the shit out of it. Make no mistake, your social media shares, you emailing this podcast, you telling people about your this podcast is the greatest thing you can do to help us to say thank you. So if you care about what we're doing here, uh, share the shit out of the show. All rights do remain perturbed. We must warn you that this podcast is clearly produced in a studio that does contain nuts. Uh, teach entrepreneurship. Uh, remember to practice your miracle morning savers out there, folks. Don't be lame. Get out of the passing lane. If I was governor of California, if you were driving slow in the passing lane, it would be a $50,000 fine and six months in jail. Don't forget to listen to The Tragically Hip. 
And if you haven't changed your mind lately, how do you know you have one? Thank you so much, Candy Dandy. Love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this oddcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go to Douglas Parker, Chief Executive Officer of American Airlines. Sorry, Dougie, we just ran out of time for you. That's it. Thank you so much for investing part of your life with me. Uh, It really uh, means the world to me. And uh, until we're together again, follow your difference.